As in normal economics, the two forces we are most interested in are supply and demand. Understanding how those are baked into the tokenomics give us a good sense of how desirable a given token or cryptocurrency should be. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Ethereum Audible, Ethereum In-Depth, where we read the best in Ethereum Web3. I'm Yoshua Zlatogorski, and today we are going to be diving further into our series on tokenomics. We started this series out with reading Samir Singh's on where tokens and network effects meet, where they work, where they don't work, whether you're looking for passive or active participation from your community participants. And today we're going to be reading through one of, I think he's come to be a, well, a no name in the tokenomics industry in crypto. And this is Nat Eliason. Nat is the game economist for Crypto Raiders, a play to, not really play to earn, um, they basically just a a crypto game where there is also naturally money but it's not purely play to earn and nat is in charge of their crypto game economics tokenomics everything you could want and he's written a really good series in his newsletter called nat's crypto newsletter which i highly recommend you subscribe for um a several part series that we're going to be reading through because it's great and it's just a really good grounding in how to think about tokenomics if you've been listening to ethereum audible by now you should have a good grounding in a lot of these different topics and some things here shouldn't be that new but some things still will be and i think it's just a good place to start from really the 101 and work from there so today we're going to be reading tokenomics 101 the basics of evaluating cryptocurrencies for nat's crypto newsletter but first, I want to give a shout out to Alp Audio, A-L-P-E Audio. That's my main job, my main gig. So if you want to support Ethereum Audible and my read-throughs, well, go over there and subscribe to Alp Audio. It's audio courses in depth so that you can master topics from A to Z. I'm big on audio education, as you can see. And there I really go the full nine yards. Courses at Alp Audio are really, really highly produced. And they also come with the full bells and whistles of supplementary material, like summaries that get sent to you when you finish, and flashcards that you can really remember what you're learning, additional resources so you can dive in later. And we've got courses on venture capital, marketing, product marketing, product management, creative thinking, everyday mindfulness, the neuroscience of productivity, all kinds of great stuff. So head on over to Alp Audio and help support the show. And now, let's go. Tokenomics 101, the basics of evaluating cryptocurrencies. Nat Eliason. Supply, demand, and memes. Lots of memes. Tokenomics has become a popular term in the last few years to describe the math and incentives governing crypto assets. It includes everything about the mechanics of how the asset works, as well as the psychological or behavioral forces that could affect its value long-term. Projects with well-designed tokenomics are much more likely to succeed in the long term because they've done a good job of incentivizing buying and holding their token. Projects with poor tokenomics are doomed to failure, as people rapidly sell the tokens at the first sign of trouble. 
If you're considering whether or not to buy a crypto asset, understanding the tokenomics is one of the most useful first steps you can take to make a good decision. So as someone who's been writing about DeFi for nearly a year now and who's designed the tokenomics for a popular crypto video game, here's what I look at when I am evaluating the tokenomics of a new project. It all comes down to supply and demand. As in normal economics, the two forces we are most interested in are supply and demand. Understanding how those are baked into the tokenomics give us a good sense of how desirable a given token or cryptocurrency should be. Supply, emissions, inflation, and distribution. Let's start on the supply side, since it's a little easier to understand. The main thing you're trying to figure out is, based on supply alone, should I expect this token to hold or increase its value? Or will that value be inflated away? On the supply side, a token will increase in value if fewer of those tokens exist. We call that deflation. A token will decrease in value if more of them exist. That's inflation. When you're evaluating the supply side, you don't have to worry about things like whether the token has any utility or whether it will generate income for its holders. You're really just thinking about the supply and how it will change over time. The questions you want to ask are 1. How many of these tokens exist right now? Two, how many will ever exist? And three, how quickly are new ones being minted? Bitcoin was created with a simple supply curve that is emitted over about 140 years. There will only ever be 21 million Bitcoin, and they're released at a rate that gets cut in half every four years or so. Roughly 19, 19 million already exist, so there are only 2 million more to be released over the next 120 years. That means 90% of the supply is already in circulation, and here will only be 10.5% more Bitcoin 100 years from now. So, you shouldn't expect any serious inflationary pressure bringing down the value of the coin. What about Ethereum? The circulating supply is around 118 million, and there's no cap on how many Ether can exist, but Ethereum's net emissions were recently adjusted via a burn mechanism so that it would reach a stable supply or potentially even be deflationary, resulting in somewhere between 100 to 120 million tokens total. Given that, we shouldn't expect much inflationary pressure on Ether either. It could even be deflationary. Dogecoin has no supply cap either, and it is currently inflating at around 5% per year. So of the three, we should expect inflationary tokenomics to erode the value of Doge more than Bitcoin or Ethereum. The last thing you want to consider with supply is allocation. Do a few investors hold a ton of the tokens, which are going to be unlocked soon? Did the protocol give most of its tokens to the community? How fair does the distribution seem? If a bunch of investors have 25% of the supply, and those tokens will unlock in a month, you might hesitate before buying in. What about some DeFi tokens? Yearn, one of the first DeFi protocols I wrote about, has a fixed supply of 36,666 YFI. There are no emissions and no inflation, so you shouldn't expect the value of one YFI to decrease from inflationary pressure. Meanwhile, Olympus, a protocol I wrote about more recently, has an insanely inflationary printing schedule, with huge amounts of new OHM tokens being printed every day. So theoretically, you should expect holding OHM to be a bad bet. But as we'll see shortly, supply alone is not enough to understand whether holding a token is worthwhile. Those are the main considerations for supply. Now demand is where things get more interesting. Demand. ROI, memes, and game theory. I could go into my backyard, break a few rocks, and then say, they're the only rocks I'm ever going to break and put up for sale. 
I have a fixed supply of 10 rocks, zero inflation rate, so they should be worth millions, right? Well, no, because no one wants my broken rocks. At this simple level, there's nothing inherently different between my rocks and Bitcoin. Having a fixed supply alone does not make something valuable. People also need to believe it has value, and that it will have value in the future. If you want to know whether a token will have demand-side value in the future, you'll want to look at return on investment, memes, and game theory. Let's start with ROI, since it's the easiest. Return on investment. ROI in this case is not how much you think the token price will go up, it's how much increase or cash flow the token is able to generate for you simply by holding it. For example, if you hold Ether, you can stake it to help secure the network once proof of stake launches. In return for staking your ETH, you get paid in more ETH at a rate of about 5%. Some tokens allow you to tap into the earnings of the protocol they represent. If you hold Sushi, you can stake it to earn a share of the Sushi protocol revenues, currently for about a 10.5% APR. Another form of ROI comes from rebasing, similar to a stock split where by holding a token and staking it, you continue to get more of that token as the protocol inflates its supply. This is how Olympus works, and is why their heavy inflation rate is not necessarily a bad thing, since you can retain the share of the protocol that you own. ROI is important to consider, because if a token has no intrinsic ROI or cash flows, then it's harder to justify holding it. You have to believe other people's belief in the number going up is enough to sustain it. Or, you have to believe the memes memes. The other reason people might want a token is simply the belief that other people want the token, and will want it in the future. You can call it faith, conviction, or memes, but whatever you call it, the machine that generates belief in the growth of future value is always going to be an important consideration. How do you evaluate this, though? Everything else in the tokenomics has been pretty measurable, but memes? This is one that requires you to hop into the community and get a feel for it. What's the energy like in their Discord? How active are they on Twitter? Do people make this token or protocol part of their identity? How long have people been active in the community? Belief in future value is often one of the most powerful drivers of demand. Bitcoin has no cash flow, no staking rewards, nothing. It just has the belief that it could be a long-term store of value to rival gold. Or more ambitious beliefs like definancialization and hyper-Bitcoinization. But it's all beliefs at the end of the day. So while it's tempting to be purely analytical, don't discount how far a token can get with faith, clever memes, and a cult-like following. There's a third element here to demand which can combine parts of memes and parts of ROI. Let's call it game theory. Game theory asks you to consider what additional elements in the tokenomics design might help increase the demand for the token. This is where tokenomics can get particularly complex and is the main area I'll be focusing on in the follow-up of the 102 version of this post. But one common version of good tokenomic game theory is lockups. The protocol creates an incentive for locking up your token in a contract, usually in the form of greater rewards. The classical example of this is Curve. Similar to Sushi, you can lock your CRV tokens to earn a share of the protocol revenue. But the longer you lock up your tokens for up to four years, the greater your rewards. In addition, the more tokens you have locked up and the longer you have them locked for, the lower your fees when you use all the other parts of Curve. So Curve has exceptionally strong incentives and game theory around holding its token. You can earn a decent ROI from staking it, and you can earn a higher ROI from all other parts of the app. And you earn the most by locking up your tokens for 4 years, which dramatically reduces the incentives to sell CRV. Tokenomics in Practice – Evaluating a Project 
Now that you know the main questions to ask, let's go through the process of evaluating a project. We'll start with one of my favorites, Convex Finance. Convex is a platform that sits on top of Curve and helps you earn a higher yield by aggregating many investors together. It lets you earn most of the higher yield you would get on Curve if you had locked up thousands of CRV tokens for four years without having to do the locking yourself. By hopping into their docs, we can start to answer the questions I laid out in this article. Supply. Convex has a fixed max supply of 100 million, which will be released over time at a decreasing rate depending on CRV deposits. The token distribution is 3.3% to investors, 9.7% to the treasury, 10% to the Convex team, 1% to VECRV voters, 1% to VECRV holders, and 25% to liquidity mining, and 50% to Curve LP rewards. According to CoinGecko, 78.5 million of those 100 million coins have already been created, meaning the current supply will inflate by another 33%. Of those tokens, the vast majority are going to the people using Convex, so this is a very fair token distribution. Only a comparatively small amount is being retained for the team and investors. For comparison, imagine if Amazon gave away 75% of its stock to people who used Amazon. So there's a fixed supply, the remaining supply is being released at a decreasing rate, most of the tokens are going to com the community, and there's a max 33% dilution from here. Things look pretty good on the supply side. What about demand? To evaluate demand, you need to ask, why would you hold the CVX token? By holding the CVX token, you get a share of all convex finance revenue. That's not a huge amount, but it earns about 4% right now. That's not all, though. You can also lock your CVX tokens for 16 weeks at a time, and when you do so, you get bonus rewards from various protocols who want to reward convex stakers. Here, the APR is still just 5%, but that's not including the bonus rewards you get from other platforms. And on top of that, you can delegate your convex to other voters in return for bribes using the service Vodium. So there is a pretty significant ROI on staking your CVX tokens, and even if the value doesn't change at all, and it has a very strong game theory supporting holding the token, since you only earn these rewards if you lock your tokens for 16 weeks at a time. The memes aren't as strong, since it's somewhat boring back-office DeFi protocol, but they don't need to be, it's a cash flow machine. So Convex has a fixed supply, which is mostly allocated to the community. Most of the tokens are in circulation, and there won't be much more inflation. Holding CVX is heavily rewarded via protocol fees and other rewards to token holders, so there's less reason to sell if the price dumps. To me, this is one of the better tokenomics designs out there, and a fantastic example of a well-designed project. All the pieces come together to design a robust financial incentive system that doesn't rely on faith to prop up the value. Evaluating on your own. This should give you a good initial foundation to evaluate any new project you come across. By reading the docs or white paper, you should get a good sense of how the supply is going to be managed and what forces will drive demand for the token or cryptocurrency. The question to keep in the back of your mind isn't necessarily, will this appreciate against the dollar, but will this appreciate against BTC, ETH, SOL, or whatever you prefer? Most crypto assets are highly correlated and move together, and if you're holding anything besides the big foundational coins, it should be based on some belief that its tokenomics and incentives will result in its outperforming the base currencies it's built on. 
In the next part of the series on tokenomics, I'll get more into the various game theory strategies protocols employ to drive demand for their token. And that is the first post in the series of Nat's Crypto Newsletter on Tokenomics 101. And I think it's a really good grounding in the supply and demand picture for tokenomics. And there are definitely things here that I think most people don't consider when they think about a token, including the issuance rate and the inflation of a token. Sometimes when you see a token that's giving a lot of rewards, you're like, oh, great, free money. But really, it's just inflating away the value of that token. And if you're not staking and getting those rewards, the value of your own tokens are actually being devalued by that inflation. So being aware of the emissions and to who those emissions are going to, the inflation rate, the distribution of the tokens among the different participants is really, really important to understand the supply. On CoinGecko or CoinMarketCap, you can see easily what the circulating supply is, what the total market cap is based on the non-circulating supply and what the current mar circulating market cap is. And those can give you a much better idea for the real value or the real market cap of whatever token you're evaluating. And so understanding supply is really the first, first, first key building block to tokenomics. Demand is much more challenging because just as Nat says, one of those three kind of pillars is belief and memes and cult following. And it's really hard to judge the hype cycle. I'll add in two more aspects that I think need to be addressed. And hopefully we'll get to in a later part of the tokenomics series, or maybe I'll just create my own take on it. But you, another thing that you have to understand is who are the participants in your in this protocol, who are your fellow token holders? In Convex, it's a very clear idea because the only people are, who are going to be holding Convex are financially oriented investors. That's not the case in a lot of projects that are either NFTs or games where you get a mix of different token holders. You'll get financial investors, you'll get financial speculators, you'll get artists, you'll get players. Each one of those has a different utility function in mind. Now, for Convex, it's very simple. Everyone is just thinking about the risk reward and the yield that they're getting. And so whether they hold their bags or sell their bags, um, the game theory is, is easier to, to figure out because everyone has the same utility function. Everyone has the same opportunity cost. Just like Nat said, it's a boring back office DeFi protocol. And so there will be a set of people who are who are joining it, not for some kind of hype cycle or anything like that, but just because four or five, six percent yield is really good these days. And they'll hold their bags because that's what they're there for. Um, and they might be long term holders. And so it's easier to gamify and kind of figure out the game theory of the people who are holding the bags with you in a game that can be completely, completely different. You can be holding the tokens of a game because you're a long-term gamer and you think this game will be great in the next two, three, four, five years. Um, some of these games, as an example, I think there's a Illuvium that's being built on Immutable X and Star Atlas that's being built on Solana. And these are probably the most heavy-duty traditional game design, uh, game developer-oriented project that I've seen in the crypto world, like people who are really trying to build 
um, a game that would stand up in the regular normie space of, you know, not just us crypto weirdos, uh, but people who just want to play a fun game with great graphics and, and everything that in, that's involved. But the people who are holding the Illuvium token or the Startless tokens, these are not gamers because the game doesn't exist yet. These are investors. These are speculators. These are people who are here to make money, people to, who want to be early in, buy up land, and sell and make their exit. And they are just very, very different token holders than, say, your actual gamer who was in there and holding it because he wants to play the game in five years and he wants to support the project. Those two typecasts are completely different. And so figuring out their memes, their beliefs, when each one will sell their tokens is much, much harder. And I actually recently posted a kind of Twitter thread about how most games fall into the spiral of death because when they launch, they launch with tokenomics that incentivize people to come hold their tokens. But today in crypto, 99% of the people in crypto, at least in DeFi crypto, and you know, play to earn and Web3 games are not real gamers because the games don't exist. They're really financial speculators and investors. And so when a, a game launches with emissions, most people evaluate the game based on what other returns they can earn. There's an opportunity cost and they're not aping into the game because they really want to support the project long term. Most of the people are aping in because they want to get that sweet APY. And so game teams are forced to offer really high yield, staking yield. And what that means is that they are bleeding inflation. They are bleeding this distribution to these holders because they need to incentivize these holders to stick with them. And that's basically paying off these early financial speculators at the expense of a healthy ecosystem longer term. So you really have to know who's holding the token together with you. I think that's another really important factor for demand that you have to keep in mind. So I'll call that a wrap for this tokenomics review. Uh, we're going to be diving deeper into this topic. I think it's a really fascinating topic and will also help make you, all of you, better investors. I know it's definitely helped me better evaluate projects and avoid some, some dumps. Um, so hope you enjoy it. See you later. 